0: The following audio is from Life Point Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about Life Point Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Good morning. Missed you guys last week. Who braved the snow and came out anyway and then found out that we had to cancel anybody? Praise God for you. And did you really? Man, you're the man. That was good. Four wheel drive, I didn't have that. Glad to be here. Seriously missed you guys last week. And uh, as you know, as as Bill said, uh, we have a team in Puebla, Mexico today. Uh, we're praying for them. I think currently uh, at this specific time, exactly they also are having service, and Eric is teaching via translator. And um, it's just so beautiful to me that the Word of God transcends uh, language barriers and transcends uh, even different into different countries, and we have the opportunity. To go forward. And it's so beautiful that that is what's happening today because that's exactly where we are back in the Gospel of John. And so for those of you who um, have been coming more recently, let me me kind of bring you up to date where we are. And for those who were here back when we were in the Gospel of John, you probably uh, maybe need to be caught up as well. And so I'm going to help you out today. We're going to be in... Chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up page 586. if you're using one of ours. If you're not, uh, it's in the Gospel of John between chapter 16 and 18. You can find that there. Um, this is uh, a part of the text that uh, is, is titled, it's labeled, The High Priestly Prayer. Jesus is in the garden right before he uh, will uh, be betrayed and to be taken into trial, and uh, leading us into the Easter season, we'll see that. And it's it's in its incredible text, uh, because it's it's literally it's the words of. Jesus. He prays these things, and as we s- will see today, uh, he prays a little bit for himself. He prays for his disciples, and and then he prays for the, the church to be the future, the not yet believers, the the us. And so, uh, I'm I'm a, I'm I'm so excited to dive in today. Um, but there's so much here, and so what we're going to do, we're going to kind of fly over it, scratch the surface. We're going to read it together, and I'm I'm confident that uh, because the word does not return void and it's living and active, that God is going to speak to you today uh, through His Word, um, not through not through uh, elegant speech by means. Uh, Paul even says later in the New Testament, he says it's not that uh, I'm the best speaker in the world; it's that God is is moving amongst his people, and I just get to deliver the message. That's how, how I feel today, because there's so much here, and I wanna try to do it justice. I'm just gonna be honest. Uh, we're gonna be prayerful together that God would speak, uh, because I don't want you to take something away that I have to say. I want you to hear from him. And so, that being said, let's kind of sum up where we've been in the Devoted series. Last week, we finished Devoted series, and there was four main things that we saw the early church devoted to, Acts 2.42. We saw, number one, the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves To teaching Number two, the fellowship, together, the body, the unity. They devoted themselves to each other. Number three, the breaking of bread and remembrance. They got together, they ate together. And we've been seeing these things play out in life groups. Just so happens uh, maybe we plan life groups like this for a reason. I'm just saying. And number four, prayer. They devoted themselves to praying together. Now what's beautiful about this is after we finish the devoted series, a question is asked, Um, where did these things come from? Why these things? Uh, How did that uh, happen that way? And it's beautiful because as we go back to the Gospel of John 17, we see Jesus prays for these things. He examples these things with his boys and then when he leaves the scene and they kind of push on the early church, these are the things that the church is devoted to because these are the things that they saw Jesus the Messiah do himself. It's beautiful. And so all of that to say, the crazy train, now we've landed, here we are, are you ready? No one is ready, but we're going to go anyway. You guys feeling good today? Am I talking too fast already? Look, we could be here for two hours. I can talk a lot slower, or we can just knock do this. Uh, John 17, open up your Bibles to there. I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then we're going to break it up piece by piece. So follow along. It won't be on the screens. I want, to, I want you to see this text here. John 17, the high priestly prayer, verse 1, says this. The works that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 6. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and I have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you've given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they had believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you had given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. What you had given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you had given me, and I had guarded them. Not one of them was lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, they may have their joy fulfilled in themselves. I had given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through your word, for their word, that they might all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also might be in us, so that the world may believe that you had sent me. The glory that you've given me, I give to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be I'm sorry, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known for the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I know that's a lot, we're gonna break it down, but I wanted to read it in its entirety because you have to get this picture that Jesus is praying. He knows what's about to happen and this is his final prayer. So before we dive in, let's pray together and then we'll get rolling, all right? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, this opportunity to open your scripture, God, to see a prayer that Jesus prayed himself, God, red letters, something that he stated. And God, as we dive into it and as we look at four points that we see out of the text, I pray, God, that you would speak to us through, uh, God, what you have to say to us today. Thank you that your word is living, that it is active, and that we have opportunity in this country to open it freely and to present it. And God, we also pray now for the church in Mexico, where our team is, as they open their word as well, God, that you would speak them. We thank you that you are moving amongst us in in different countries, in different regions, in different places, and even in different churches here in this city. We thank you, God, that you are who you are. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Say amen. Wake up a little bit. We're going to do four main points today uh, to keep us on track, and we've never, I've never really done this before, but as I was reading through it, uh, the points kind of popped to me, and I thought that it would be good to share them with you, and so I'm going to read them to you. If you're a note taker, this is going to be right up your alley, all my type A people right here, just like me. You're going to love this. If you're not a note taker, I suggest maybe you give it a shot and see how it goes for you. Something new to try, but four points. You guys ready? Yes. Point number one, thank you. Jesus fulfills the Father's plan number one is Jesus fulfills the Father's plan. Number two, we'll see that Jesus leads the way and leaves the example. Jesus leads the way and leaves the example. Number three, Jesus saves and sanctifies us. The third thing we'll see, Jesus saves and sanctifies us. And the final one we just read, number four, Jesus prays for us and over us. Jesus prays for us and over us. Point number one, Jesus fulfills the Father's plan. Verse one through five, we see this. Jesus' mission, from the beginning of time, he says, even from the beginning, the foundations of the world, that they were together. They were one, God the Father and God the Son were together as one. Before the foundation of time, the plan was for Jesus to come and to bring us back into a perfect relationship and unity with God the Father because of sin. This was not a surprise to God. He knew that this would be the case, He knew that sin would enter in, He knew how it would happen. God is not thrown off by surprises. Nothing in your life, let me encourage you with this, uh, is a surprise to God. Maybe a surprise to you, not a surprise to God. He knows all things. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the purpose that he was sent to earth to do. And that purpose was this, to manifest the holiness of God to people. To manifest the holiness of God. We see that in verse uh, 1 through 5, that he said he came to manifest himself. Beginning of John, this is what I love about this book. Incredible. We opened up John, the, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1. Starts off, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What he's saying here is, in the beginning was God. God came in the flesh to dwell among us. Then we see later he prays. He's like, my mission, I've fulfilled it. I've come. The time is coming now that we bring to culmination the mission of the reason I've I've come here. And then we see later he continues to pray. The the reason Jesus came was to reunite God's people to this perfect, unbroken, holy relationship with God. And then in verse three, he says something incredibly profound. Jesus himself says, look at it, verse three. He says, eternal life is that one would know that God is the true God. Eternal life is that one would know that God is the one true God. It's an interesting statement that eternal life. I think that as we think about eternal life, we think maybe what comes next, right? Once we're, once we're dead and gone, what comes next is our eternal life. What Jesus here shows us that eternal life begins the moment we step into a relationship with the Father, the moment that He gives us a new heart, a new life transformation, a new identity in his son. That's when our eternal life begins, not when we are dead and gone and finished, but right then. We have to understand this because this is what the disciples understood as they moved forward the church. They had a mission. They were in the game. They had a goal, a plan. Jesus came to fulfill, to show that God was who he was. And then their opportunity was to spread that good news. Our opportunity today, as we'll see in the end, is to continue to spread the good news of the gospel. Because our, our life eternal with the Father begins when we know the one True God. See, the definition, the description of of hell, the opposite of that is, we know it, um, if you grew up in the church, the fire and brimstone, um, and that's the way the Bible describes it, but the definition of hell is a separation, eternal separation from God. It's life with Christ, eternal life, knowing that he's the true God, or a separation from God. Without Christ in our life, we're separated from him. And so he says eternal life is that we would know that God is the one true God. The problem, I think, for us, being uh, America, more than any other country, but all human struggle, is that we begin to put on pedestals other things that become our gods, that become our uh, worship. This is why I think he says, the one true God. Not one of the gods, not another God, the one true God. But the struggle is real in that. And I'm not going to stand here and say that I don't struggle myself with watching my life and seeing how I place other things sometimes above the beauty and reality of salvation. But we go on. And he continues to pray. He knows that. He continues to pray. Point number two. Jesus leads the way and leaves the example. Jesus leads the way and leaves the example. So the question out of the first five verses is this. Okay, so uh, we accept and believe in Jesus, but now what? Well, the answer is we follow now the example that Christ had given us. I think it's important also to note that in his time of need, in Jesus' time of need, when he uh, was about to forego this gruesome execution on our behalf. The majority of this prayer, I don't know if you caught it, he doesn't even pray for himself. The first, he says in the beginning, glorify me, the time has come. But he doesn't ask that, that it would go quickly. He doesn't ask in this specific prayer that he doesn't have to go about it. He says, I know this is the plan. And then he begins to pray For his disciples, he prays to keep them. This is the beautiful breakdown. I said earlier, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. This was the time that God sovereignly chose for his son to enter in the world and to manifest his glory and his presence to the people. And when he came, it says that, Jesus says, those who you had given me, Throughout the Gospels, we see stories of Jesus walking up to people and saying, come follow me, drop your nets, follow me. He knew who he was after. He assembled this group of men. He began to teach them. He began to live life with them. He began to invest in them. He began to to push them a little bit in areas where they needed to grow. He began to uh, live and sleep and eat with these men so they could see his example because he knew, he knew that there would be a day where he leaves. The disciples, maybe not so much, but Jesus knew there would be where I need to go. This is the end goal, and then they would continue. Jesus says, keep them from the evil one. I um, began to think through this a little bit. Jesus spends three years of his life with these disciples Men, these 12 men. At the end, we know, we'll see later, at the end, uh, there became maybe some doubt in some disciples' mind. A couple of them, uh, one of them betrays him, as we read, the son of, uh, as the scriptures fulfilled, we read that. One went astray. One denies him. There's struggle. Again, the struggle is real in our lives. Jesus knows that. He prays. That's why he says, keep them. keep them. Verse 14 to 15 says, Father, keep them from evil because the world will hate them because they are different. Jesus knew the struggle, knew what was to come. And so he's pleading to the Father that he'd keep them. Yeah, I mean, genuinely, we can see he genuinely cared for these men the early church, he cared about these people. It wasn't a, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna do my thing, I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna go back to glory and you can figure it out. He asked God, he pleads to God, keep them. The world will hate them. He knew it was to come. We saw it even in his life that he was rejected by men, rejected by many. People didn't have anything to do with Jesus at times. But he's Jesus, right? And so he's saying, when I go, They'll still continue to struggle with this. There will still be people in their lives who don't want to hear about this. There will still be situations, maybe even family members who will not yet believe. Jesus is saying, give them strength, keep them from the evil one. The question is, okay, so if Jesus says keep them, how is that going to play out then? Leads us to our third point. John 17, 16 through 19. Jesus came to save and sanctify us. Jesus came to save and sanctify us. Um, When Jesus came, his mission was not to make people happy necessarily. In fact, he uh, made a lot of people angry. Our mission is not to uh, make people happy Tell them by telling them or giving them what they want to hear, but by showing them the truth, the uh, one true God. That's why the Bible says that uh, households were divided. That's why... Uh, Questions asked sometimes, why, why, why doesn't my entire family believe? Well, we see later, and we'll get to this in point four, not to jump too much ahead, but he says, I, I pray for these now, but also for those who would come. I pray for the church to be us. So he does desire that those would know him. But he also knows that it would be a journey. It would be a sanctifying process. Sanctification situations are the process in which God makes and molds us into the people he wants us to be for his purpose. Here's the thing about sanctification. I know I talk about it a lot. I feel like every time I get the mic, I always end up talking about sanctification. But the Bible does, so we might as well. Here's the thing about sanctification is that you yesterday and your past will never be your future again. Let me explain. Sometimes I hear stories um, about, I talk to people and they're going through a, a time and we pray and we talk. And, and so I just, it was the way it used to be. I used to say this personally, had a mentor say to me, he's like, the process in sanctification is, is the purpose is that God, he's making and molding us into the people that he wants us to be for his glory in the future. Praise God for these times in the past. Thank you, Jesus, for these times. But those were then. Now is coming. The process of sanctification is getting us into the person that God wants us to be for his glory in the future. May it be painful? Unfortunately. May it be joyous? Yes. Ultimately, yes and amen. In the time of struggle, it's not that fun. Again, Jesus says, Keep them, keep them from evil, keep them from disbelief, keep them from their doubt, but encourage them. That's why he sends the spirit to live in us, to encourage us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives within us, the Bible says, as believers in Jesus. Sometimes uh, we need to go through the struggle and be broken so God can put back together our pieces. I think too often we we try to put together our uh, our masterpiece our puzzle we know what we want things to look like and so I'm going to put it together God you I'll pray when I, when I can't figure out the next move, but I'm a few steps ahead and so i'm going to put it in place how I want to put it in place and when you play in and fit into that equation I 'll invite you over and jesus says i've already I've already painted the masterpiece job is done the victory has been won This is just a little war you're going through, a little battle you're facing, but the war, the victory has been won in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so as we try to put our puzzle pieces together, Jesus is saying, why don't you just step back a bit and and watch the process. Pursue and and devote and, and put your trust more into the person of Christ and watch that thing unfold. It's this process of, Uh, Pruning a tree, it's another example the Bible uses. That the fruit of our lives, as they produce, sometimes things have to be pruned. You can have a beautiful tree and it can grow and grow and grow and produce fruit and all of a sudden it doesn't. It's because some branches need to be cut off so they can revive life. Some things in our life, friends, um, have to be cut off. And that's the thing that you and God need to talk about. That's the sanctifying process. For me, some of those things are what I think the end goal should be. Just to be honest, God has to continually remind me that my goal is not the mission. (laughs) Anybody else? You don't have to admit it. Everybody? Okay, praise God. My goal is not the mission. The goal of my mission is not to make people happy, not to tell you what you want to hear, mission is to make God famous. That's why Jesus came. Let me ask you a question. All right. What I need you to do is I need you to, you like like your situation now, you like your living situation. I need you to back up, leave everything, just you, leave it all. You go uh, to, I don't know, some remote random spot USA that no one wants to be. Live there and I want you to grab a couple of people that you find, and in three years, I want you to die for them all. What? No, three years from now, I'm supposed to do blank, blank, blank. No. See, Jesus did that for us. Jesus came out of glory, stepped onto earth. He perfectly went through temptation, never sinning, but was tempted. Do we realize this? Jesus was tempted. He can understand your situation. You think no one can understand your life right now because it's such a struggle. Jesus can. He was tempted in every way. That's what the Bible says. Never sinning though, because he knows how to overcome. Jesus is the overcomer. Through the spirit of Jesus in our lives now as believers, we now can overcome. But we have to go through times of sanctification trials and situation. He says, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. We realize the disciples at this point did not have the New Testament that we're reading from. He's saying, sanctify them in your word. Word, logos, it's, it's the same word that's used multiple times. It's the same word. It's referring to Jesus, the example, sanctify them in the example that I've set forth. Your word is truth. Truth. The only truth we saw earlier, everlasting life. It's the one true God. Not the things that we make up in our minds. The one true God. And so our opportunity now is to continue to pursue Press into, desire, be sanctified in the hopes that our heart would be on mission for His glory, for His purpose. It leads us to the last point, number four. I don't know about you, but that being said, point number three I need some prayer, I need some help. just so happens that Jesus then prays for us. Jesus then prays for us. He prays for us and over us. I wanna read 20 through 26 again because this is the part of the text I think that we now uh, can identify to because this is us. All this other stuff, this is beautiful to see God Jesus praying for himself and his disciples and what's going on then, but now this is where we come into the picture. Verse 20, again, says, I do not ask for these only, that's his disciples he's just praying for, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, So that the world may believe that you have sent me. They are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Wow. Can we just stop? God loves us as much as he loves Jesus. Mm, It's good. 25. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these now that you have sent me, I have made known to me your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love at which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus prays for two main things for the church. Number one, he prays for those who would believe. Number two, he prays ultimately for unity amongst the church. Essentially, he prays against doubt of salvation and against disunity of the body. If we look at the prayer as a whole, he says, the time has come. I've walked with these men. I've shown them what there is to show you. I've manifested myself to the people as the, as the prophecies have said. It's scripture now is fulfilled. The time has come. He's like, but it's going to be difficult. We've endured things together, but now when I'm gone, it's going to be all the more difficult because I'm not around for them. So, Father, keep them. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And not just them, but now also those who would believe. Think about this. What would have happened if the early church, the disciples, when Jesus was crucified, then resurrected and went on, what if that point they said, that was fun. Three years, good times. Back to uh, life as normal, I guess. And the church never moved forward. You ever thought about that? Praise God we don't have to. Think about it. What would have happened if they began to doubt salvation, and began to bicker amongst each other. We see some of it, but they learned how to do it well. They learned how to fight well and have conflict resolution together. I mean, we're people. We will fight. We will not agree on everything. But the Bible actually, believe it or not, gives us a prescription for even that, how to go to a brother and approach him in a time of, that's a different message, but That's in there, just in case you're fighting with somebody. I need to actually read it again. Jeez. But uh, sanctification right there. Um, The two things, doubt and disunity. I'm not going to give examples. Maybe you've never experienced either. Maybe just, maybe one. I, I do know that doubt of salvation is something the enemy likes to shoot at us often. He likes to throw those fiery darts, likes to hit us and likes us to doubt our salvation in Christ, likes to doubt our relationship with Jesus. If he can't do that, then he's gonna bring people together in a room and then he's gonna try to bring in some things that cause this unity. Because if he, if he can't get you directly, he's, he's gonna get you with people. Because what happens in disunity? Well, if we're not unified, then we're not together. You're like, obviously. But if we're not together, then we're not devoting ourselves to the teaching. We're not devoting ourselves together to the fellowship. We're not devoting ourselves together to the breaking of bread. We're not devoting ourselves together to prayer. So Jesus prays. He knows. He says, God, I pray, Father, against their doubt. I pray against disunity. Without confidence and cohesion together, things won't move forward. They can't. You think about uh, a car, for example. If the car is not put together correctly and there's no integrity in the pieces that built it, it will fall apart and you'll be out of a car. If you think of a chain link or a, a chain together, if there's one link in that chain that it doesn't have integrity, it's broken. You put weight on that chain, what'll happen? It'll break. It'll break. Jesus prays for us as the church against doubt and disunity because he knows that without our confidence and cohesion, the church, I mean, God can do what he wants, okay? God is God, but God's plan for us as the church is to continue to live out love and, and continue to push his mission forward that people would know. And let me say this, praise God for opportunities in Mexico because there's some crazy cool things going on even today and we'll see when they come back as they share and we'll be encouraged. I mean, that's what these guys did. They went out to the ends of the earth. I mean, international missions is an important part of sharing the gospel, but I believe it's just as important to live it out where we live now. To love people well to fight doubt. How do we fight doubt? The opposite of something that you doubt is a, a knowledge. A, you believe. The opposite of doubt is belief. And the end of, of John, he says, the reason that this book is written is so that you would believe and have life in my name. Jesus speaking. That you would believe that you would not doubt. Even in your times of, of struggle. And, and friends, uh, those times can be long. I don't like those long times. But to a God that's created the time who was from the beginning and will be forevermore, time is but a vapor. Our lives, it says, our lives itself is but a vapor to God. And so processes we go through are but even less than that in his sovereign reality of time. And so my hope for us, in concluding, everyone's like, praise him, is this. The gospel of John, like I said, was written, that we would believe and have life in his name. And so our challenge, this is my charge, is this, all the points together, I leave you with this. Jesus fulfills the Father's plan. He came to live, die, and raise from the dead. In that time, he came to lead the way and leave the example. He taught the whole counsel of God. He shows us by his love, saved and sanctifies us by dying on the cross, setting himself apart. He says, I consecrate myself, showing us the example of to be set apart, and then he prays for us and over us as we go, now and then. So as the band comes back up and we're going to get to sing a couple more songs of worship in response to this, holy God, my my challenge is this, Maybe, maybe my hope for you is this, that today, right now, would not be the only time that you read through John 17. Maybe throughout this week, I know we'll do it again in life groups, so maybe one more time, maybe this week you'll, you'll hear this prayer of Jesus at least three times this week, praying that God would speak to you through his scriptures. That's one of their points and purposes for us. praying against doubt, against fear, praying for unity of the church, and then praying that we would go to our next door neighbors, even to Mexico, that we would go. And then the encouraging part of that is this, that We don't have to go alone. Jesus prays, keep them. His Spirit came. His Spirit's with us. He's for us. And so if you guys would stand, I'm gonna pray over this time. I'm gonna pray over you. I'm gonna pray over this text. We'll respond in some song and... Thankful for you guys, as a church, as a people, and let me just pray. God, I pray uh, for this time, for these people, for this family. God, that you would in us, God, begin to place in us desire. To go, to make disciples, God, to to live a life that we fully pursue you, God, that we press into your truth. God, so out of that we can overcome fear and doubts that may arise, God, that we can set aside things that so easily entangle us, God, foolish disputes, God, for ultimate unity. And God, so that the church as a whole may move forward, God, I pray that just as the disciples in the early church did 2,000-ish years ago, God, because of their faithfulness and their devotion to you, the fruit of that is now that we are here in this place, in this city of Fallon, in the middle of a, a country that is an entire ocean away from where this whole thing began. God, I pray that today you would ignite in us a passion to desire to go. God, I pray that you would ignite in us a passion, God, to devote ourselves to each other, God, to you first and foremost. God, I pray that instead of worrying about the fruit that we want to see bear, God, that we would worry about the process in which it takes. God, that you would give us grace as we pursue you. Out of that, God, you do what you want. That you would be our treasure. That eternal life would be Belief in the one true God. And so, God, I pray that we would believe that today. God, I pray for those here who have confessed and believed in you before. God, I pray that you would strengthen their faith, God, increase their faith today. God, I pray for those who are here who maybe have never asked you, God, to to come into their life, God, to take control over. God, I pray that you would speak to them today, God, that maybe today could be that opportunity. So God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your prayer that you, you prayed for us. So God, as you prayed for us, God, I pray that we would pray for the not yet believers as well. The mission doesn't stop. God, you didn't save us to set us aside. God, you saved us. The reason that we are here is to continue to show your glory, God.